Do you know the term blank show? It, 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 it starts with an S and it rhymes with hit. Do you know the term blank show? Let me tell you what you saw last night here in Indianapolis. And I'm going to go even deeper than just Saturday, Jeff Saturday, not calling a timeout and then saying, we'll play what Jeff Saturday had to say. But when you have an organization, a billion dollar organization, and this isn't any business, you have to have a culture of toughness, a culture of winning, a culture of success. When you move the culture to PR, when you move the culture, (laughs) I can't even believe I'm saying this, to relationships over winning, you put out all kinds of videos. We're about relationships. Winning will take care of itself. We're smarter than you. No, we understand. We love, we hug, we build a PR wing, we cater to media, all the while, and you can do that, but all the while neglecting what you're really about. And in the NFL, you are really about one thing and one thing only, winning. I've tried to educate the great city of Indianapolis for years. I have butted heads against the dumbest of the dumb. I mean the dumbest media guys, the softest media guys. I've never been personal with them unless you consider me saying that they're god-awful at their jobs being personal and that they're unqualified for their jobs because they never played, they never coached. Even if you play, as Jeff Saturday pointed out yesterday, you don't know until you're coaching to feed your family. Until you are in the scrap, in the fray, you don't know. Idiots on TV. This is why I always say about Billis and all these former players in college basketball. They ever coached, and yet they criticize or they say this should happen. Well, Jeff, next time you see somebody on your television that never coached, think about Jeff Saturday not calling a timeout. Think about the fact that Mike Tomlin paid his dues, has been doing this forever. Think about the fact that it was third and 14. You want to know when the Colts quit last night? You want to know when culture took over? People are going to blame the timeouts, and good. But this is culture. I don't care if it's this show. We have a great culture on this show. Aaron and Davey and Ryan uh, and Dylan, it's a great culture. I don't even know, but we talk and we go through Every business has to have a culture. Yesterday, third and 14, late in the game, down our tie game. Drop back the pass, Pickett. He throws it. Unbelievable pass. Great catch by Pick Ends. EJ Speed of the Colts whacks Pickens in the head, 15 more yards. Now, that's a play in a football game, but that's a play for culture. I turn to my wife, I go, the game is over. Look at the body language. And My wife understands she coached for 30 years. You won't understand. Oh, you're a body language expert. Yes. That play, I told her, I go, I'm betting right now there's a touchdown on this possession. So I live bet touchdown, and it was right. The Colts' culture was to do two things in that three things, actually. One, give up the pass. Two, be undisciplined, EJ Speed, and hit the quarterback in the head. And three, give up right then. Now, I said yesterday, and this again goes to culture, it's so important in your business. I can give you a speech on this. It's so important. Now, the Steelers, if you were going to rank 1 through 32, 
historically, NFL, toughest culture. Don't give me that Bears crap. The Bears haven't been involved in football in 100 years, since 1985. They've been insignificant. The number one team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two coaches, 40-some years, whatever it is. Mike Tomlin, a badass. Chuck Knoll, a badass. Culture. So what happens then? They're not quitting. They're not slowing down. They just go right for the juggler. They go right for the Colts' throat, and the Colts are done. There was zero chance, whether Jeff Saturday called timeout or not, that the Colts were going to score. They're inept talent-wise. They're inept coaching-wise. And most importantly, they're inept culture-wise. Why? Because it was built on a house of sand. The Steelers are built on rock. They've been built on rock. You know, the Steelers used to be horrible. You don't remember, this is way back. Steelers and the Bears were in the same division. They were horrible. All of a sudden, they brought in Chuck Knoll. All of a sudden, they said, hey, who's a young Chuck Knoll? There he is right there, Mike Tomlin. They have maintained it. I mean, they have maintained it. The Colts? Colts had a guy named Ryan Grigson. Grigson was tough. Pagano was an idiot. They got rid of Grigson. What Pagano go? Two and 14. This regime comes in. Oh, my God, he's the greatest. Oh, my gosh, it's the greatest thing ever. They catered to the media. Yesterday, you know what all the little media twerps were saying? Oh, my gosh, we've got St. Elmo's. Colts are going to win. Actually, a guy who is paid money by the athletic said that. A guy named Zach Kiefer, who never played, never coached, but he is paid to write about this. He influences. Doesn't know his backside from third base. I criticized him. He put out a little tweet. I don't respect you. Well, good. You shouldn't. We're different people. That's the culture of the Colts. Oh, my gosh, we got shrimp. We've got shrimp. Oh, goody. And then at halftime, the other idiot, the real guy's been there 10 years, a guy named Stephen Holder, has never broken a story, doesn't know, hey, we got sliders. This is going to be great. I'm getting into the, okay. That's the culture of the Colts. We talk about Camp Ballard all the time. Listen to this. Media and writers actually went out and watched video of Quiddy Pay and talked about it like it was the greatest thing ever. You know what the Steelers do? They don't do any of that crap. They show up and play. They ain't worried about PR. Now, you can be worried about both, but when you got a statue for a quarterback, you better draft a left tackle. When your best wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton, who you've won, well, you're probably now probably 2-18 and 18 without, you better find a wide receiver. You better find a quarterback. Our guy said, well, if I draft a quarterback and he's not any good, y'all will run me out of town. Really? Guess what the Steelers did? They drafted Kenny Pickett, did some research. People weren't 100% on Kenny Pickett, but I got to tell you, Kenny Pickens to George Pickett, Kenny Pickett to George Pickens looks like the future. Culture matters. And you saw it last night. Now, I'm telling you, and I'll tell you again, why don't I have respect for media? Because Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday showed you he can jump up and down, act like a big fat gas bag, on ESPN, banging in pancakes, blah, 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 blah. But he'll know his ass from third base when it comes to coaching. And he showed it last night. Let's hear from the guru, the leader of men. Yay! I didn't feel like time was really of the essence at the moment. I thought we had a good play. Um, I thought we would get to yeah, and I felt like we would get to it. You know, we, um, you know, obviously we don't do great on the backside, so it, it, it's it's worse than it. You know, but I felt good about the call before. Felt like we had time. We would have timeouts afterwards. We were in striking distance, so yeah, I, I never felt like the pressure of needing the timeout. Thought, like I said, I thought the call was good, and the you know we had 
again, we were in that mode pretty much the whole second half, so it was pretty consistent with what we were doing. So, again, it wasn't like a change for us. Um, we just didn't execute it. This is why players don't know. This is why when I listen to these guys on TV tell you who should take a shot in basketball, guys that actually coach laugh. It doesn't matter if he felt good about the play. He doesn't know enough to read. I could sit there and watch this team is unorganized. Whether he felt good about the play or not, that's great, but he ain't out there. You got to, and experience does this, and this is something people won't understand. Experience does this for you. Experience tells you, I'm looking in that guy's eyes and he not right, so that guy's getting the shot. Experience tells you, let's just calm this down. There was zero chance, and Saturday can get up there, and guess what Saturday does for a living? He talks for a living. So he talks, and he talks, and he can explain it, and all the little local yokos are going to go, yeah, well, dang, he making sense. No, 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 no. This is where experience as a coach comes in. It doesn't matter if you think the play is good. It doesn't matter if it's been consistent in the past. This is something I can never explain to anybody that has never coached in a hot environment. You got to know, wait, hold on, we got to calm this down. This is a big play. We look rushed. And if you haven't been around the team all year, if you haven't coached, you don't know. And Saturday's explanation is great. And every little local yokel here in Indianapolis will buy into it. But the truth of the matter is, it's crap. Culture. He didn't know, and I guarantee you, nobody in the, he didn't know his team quit when EJ Speed hit the guy in the head. Well, Dan, they made a good pass play. No, a kid made a play, but they weren't winning. I don't care whether it's OutKick. I don't care whether it's Fox. I don't care whether it's those big buildings downtown in whatever city you live in. I don't care if it's the small business over here. The number one thing that you can do in an organization is get a culture of discipline, toughness, achievement, and accountability. Anything other than that is crap. And the Colts for years, you saw it, PR, PR, PR. That's all it's been. And you know what? When you, everybody else is out there busting it, when everybody else is out there kicking the living hell out of it to find a left tackle, to find a wide receiver, to find a quarterback, to find a whatever, and you're out there worried about whether Peter King writes a nice article about you, or you're having Nacho Day to, so we can watch Quiddy Pay highlights so everybody will talk nice, nuh -uh. do your job. Do your job. Do it tough. And Saturday showed you. And I've said this for years. I don't give a damn what anybody writes. I don't give a damn about how good somebody talks on TV. If you haven't coached to pay for your family to eat, you'll never know. And everybody can argue with me. Everybody. But the argument, your argument just got shot down by Jeff Saturday. Great talker. Can really sling it. He said, I might be really good at this or I might be really bad at this. Well, he's really bad at it. And it's no surprise. I was all in on Saturday for one thing. When he told the owner and the general manager to kiss his backside, I'm starting Matt Ryan. I'm like, you know what? Good. But I also knew, and I said it on my other show, there's not a chance in hell he can handle the coaching of this. When it really comes down to it. It ain't about we had time left. It's about knowing your team. It's about looking in their eyes. It's about feeling it. It's organic. I'll never forget 
sitting in a room with Bob Knight, Bill Parcells, and Bill Belichick. As a young coach, Belichick was a young coach, a little older than me. I'm sitting in a room. It's just me and those three, and we did this every year, and I would sit and take notes. And the number one thing that I got out of those talks, other than be prepared and all that kind of stuff, was every game is organic. Every player is organic. The player you had yesterday, maybe even early in the game, isn't the same player when the heat is on. Maybe he's better. Maybe he's worse. Every game is organic. Well, you know, we ran this play because it worked yesterday or it worked early in the game. According to Knight, Belichick, and Parcells, that ain't the you got to know. You got to sure think about it, but you got to know. And I look at Jeff Saturday, he didn't know. He didn't know because he never coached. He didn't know because he's never been in the spot. So think about this. The Colts put a billion-dollar operation in the hands of a dude that didn't know to call timeout, and he didn't know to call timeout because he had never been in that position. That's just dumb. But you know what? Colts hired a general manager that had never been in that position that everybody said was great except for me. I told you this is a house of sand. They hired a coach, and now there's a guy on Fox, Jay Glazer, supposed expert. Jay's a good dude, I guess. I don't know him. But he gets in a Twitter argument with me way back telling me how Frank Reich is an elite coach. I'm like, yeah? You saw it last night, culture people. All right. Speaking of culture, there's a new sheriff in the great state of Wisconsin. There's a new sheriff in Madison. And I'm not talking about one that's going to pull people over for a DUI after everybody gets drunk and stupid at the nitty-gritty. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Brett Bielema, who, according to my next guest, is the greatest hire in the history of football. Spill it. Sling it, David Hookstead. Let me know why. Well, look, Luke Fickle is the man. Luke Fickle is the king. I've often referred to myself as the king of Wisconsin athletics. I'm going to take that crown off. I'm going to hand it to my guy, Luke Fickle. He's now the king of Wisconsin athletics. I'll be the prince. I'm okay with that. This is a guy that put nine players, nine players in the NFL just a year ago out of Cincinnati. We're talking about a guy that had to recruit to Cincinnati and nearly put a dozen players in the NFL from their playoff team. Now he's left the Bearcats. He's in Madison. He's rolling with the Badgers. And I'll say this. People love to make fun of people from Wisconsin. They say we're too passionate. We like beer too much. We like cheese too much. We're out of shape. Nobody's laughing anymore. We've got the best hire of the offseason slash coaching carousel. Buckle up, Big Ten. You brought this on yourselves. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, full, discla full disclaimer, uh, my favorite place when I did ESPN college basketball in the Big Ten to go was Wisconsin, and I'll tell you why. For those exact reasons, uh, beer, great cheese, cheese curds out of this world, and I'm out of shape, and it was too cold to go outside and run. So I'm all in on Wisconsin, I swear to God. But let me ask you this. What style are we going to have here? I'm not sure the old thick ankle league, as my friend Rob Lemley, producer extraordinaire at ESPN, refers to Big Ten basketball and football. Are we going to go with the big old fat guys pushing people around, or are we going to open this up a little bit? Well, I will tell you the same thing I told my dad on the phone last night. The era of Barry Alvarez, grind it out, run, 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 is dead. It is over. We have buried it. 
put a gravestone on it. It's never coming back. You're going to see a lot more skill position players. You're going to see a better quality quarterback play than the garbage we've become accustomed to these past few years. Now, the one thing Luke Fickle is a defensive guy, is a former defensive coach before he was a head coach, is going to keep is that blue collar, punch you in the mouth, rip your head off. We're going to, we're going to just punish you physically. But offensively, the days of run it no matter what, run it on third and long, only pass if you have to, maybe off play action, that's over. It doesn't work anymore. We need something new. Luke Fickle is going to bring that to Madison, and I am super excited. Altoon is not walking through that door, pal. Well, that might be that might be true. And Altoon's son, Nick Toon, was also a great receiver for the Badge. But I'll I tell know. you this: Luke Fickle's Luke Fickle's recruiting class that he had at Cincinnati is better than what Wisconsin currently has. With the transfer portal out there, he's going to hammer that. We are going to find ourselves with a higher quality of athlete. I am not worried about it at all, and all fans should be very optimistic. I, I, you know, in truth, I really agree with you. I, I think it's a fantastic hire. I think he answers and covers every single box. People are going to love him. He's understated. He just, it's exact opposite of what I've been talking about to Colts. He's understated. He goes to work. He understands player mentality. He understands toughness. He understands – I remember talking to Urban about him, and he absolutely loved Fickle. Thought he was just a fantastic all-around football coach, man, that whole deal. I'm all in. Let me ask you, right here on my TV, I've got Fox on. I'm getting ready for a monster this afternoon between the United States and Iran. All right, the the game on the pitch is going to be decided, but the player by the player. What the hell's going on here in press conferences? What the hell's going? Why is the U.S. taking away things on their flag? What what what's going on here off the field? Pitch. Well, uh, let me let me be crystal clear to your audience, and obviously, as an Outkick audience member, you're very smart, so I'm not telling you anything you probably don't already know. The Iranian regime is a brutal Islamic theocracy, okay? It is a dictatorship. There's no freedom, and they hate America. So what do they do? They send some of their goon reporters over to Qatar to question the United States of America soccer players, claiming that the United States is a racist country, that it's a terrible country. They want to know why our military is over there. And I'll tell you this, it's number one, disgusting and sickening. While this is happening, we see women and innocent protesters getting mowed down and slaughtered by the Islamic regime in Tehran. There's no freedom of speech. If you speak out, they kill you. It is that simple. So how dare the Iranians come to the United States in a press conference and question who we are. And I'll bring a little historical point going back 42 years ago to the Iranian hostage crisis. When we tried a rescue attempt, Dan, do you know what they did with the bodies of the American service members that died when the operation failed? They put them on public display in Tehran like they were trophies. And Reagan should have flattened the Ayatollah's home when they did that. This is a horrific regime. I love the people of Iran who want freedom, but the government is evil and sadistic, and anyone in the American media who pretends otherwise should be embarrassed. I totally agree with that, and I'm old enough to remember. I I do remember 40 years ago. I do remember the bodies hanging right in the middle of the town square, whatever the hell the thing was. I remember that, no question about it. And, in fact, right now I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. That That was a horrendous period in the United States um, it is being revisited to a cer- certain degree, correct? I mean, the United States, ha- it, look, this is a soccer match, but I've equated it like this, David. Uh, you may be too young, but the United States in 1980 playing the Russians. There was a Cold War. There was all this stuff going on. 
You know, a lot of stuff was said after the fact about the importance of this game, that game. We've seen 30 for 30s on it. Is this a political game? Is it imperative that the United States on a national scene beat the Iranis today to send a message or prove a point? Absolutely it is. We have to crush the Iranian team. And it's not because the soccer players on the Iranian team are bad people. They have also protested the brutal dictatorship in Tehran. It is about the Iranian government. We must humiliate them. We must embarrass them. We must put them in their place. And we must show the world how scumbag these people are. And if we lose to Iran, it will be beyond embarrassing for the United States of America. And I want to make this clear so we don't have anyone cutting this dishonestly. I have no problem with the people of Iran. They want freedom. They are willing to die in the streets for freedom. They are willing to actually show courage, unlike Kaepernick and LeBron James. The government in Iran is the problem. They are evil, and we shouldn't sugarcoat it and pretend that's not the case. First game, uh, Iran did not sing the national anthem, the players on the pitch. Second game, they did. Do you make anything out of that? Yeah, I think it's pretty simple. They told the players, if I had to speculate, if you don't get your uh, butt out there and sing the national anthem, you'll never see your family again. Uh, that It's that simple. Uh, they don't have the freedom of choice to take a knee. They would just kill these guys, no questions asked, or they'd imprison their families. So I feel terrible for those players. They, they are pawns in a game that that is, quite frankly, disgusting. It is disgusting. It's absurd. And I, I got to tell you, it makes my blood boil. And I don't think... You know, I watch in the Colts or the Pacers, whatever it is, but I don't think I'm ever going to root harder for the United States uh, than I am tonight because I I've said this and people have kind of poo-pooed it, but I feel exactly uh, what you feel. On the pitch, United States the better team here? I thought they looked pretty good against England. Yeah, no, we're definitely the better team. We have a ton of players who play at a super high level in Europe. We, we drew with England. Uh, you know, it's not a tie. This is now soccer right so it's not a tie it's a draw we are going to win this game we're going to win this game and hopefully we win it big and then we'll get on to the next stage and we'll really make a little bit of noise and kind of take a stand for the red white and blue i hope so um let me go to your show uh you got something incredible here and i love your show it's called american joyride it's a new episode is tonight at nine o'clock the guest is tyler great we got, we got a little clip from it but before we play it Tell everybody who Tyler Gray is. So Tyler Gray, you've probably seen him on the hit TV show SEAL Team. He's one of the stars of that. But before he was a, a big time actor, he was a member of the U.S. Army's uh, Special Mission Unit Delta Force. And he was blown up in Iraq in 2005 and suffered some incredibly serious injuries. So he shows the injuries during the interview. He talks exactly what happened, essentially, to, to summarize it. He did not shoot someone because he wanted to save a woman. That person then detonated an explosive device that nearly killed him. It is an incredible story. He's a great American, a patriotic American. And what a career to be a, to be a black ops guy and then an actor. I mean, what a, what a journey. I've always said, if there's anything that is the exact 180 degrees from the military, it's acting. Seriously, I mean, right? I mean, it, it is, okay. Here's being in the military where you got all this and then you go play somebody else. That's a hell of a move for a guy. That's some, what we call it in the industry, David, you and I are in the, you know, in the industry. That's some range as an actor right there. 
Absolutely. And, and he talks about how he got the job and essentially got the job because it's a military show. And he was saying, hey, look, this is how we would actually do this in real life. And finally, they're like, look, man, you just got to get in the show and do it yourself. And, and it's a good show. I've seen it. It's very accurate in part because multiple people involved are former SEAL Team 6 guys, Delta Force. So it's a great interview. He is an awesome, awesome dude. It drops tonight at 9 o'clock. But hey, let me go back to something. When you... And American Joyride, you've talked to so many of these guys. Um, everything around us in many ways is crap, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing companies put kids in ads that are – the word inappropriate doesn't even cover it. We, we just have so much crap. How good does it make you feel to know there are dudes out there that are doing the things that you get to interview them about and have done the things that you get to interview them about? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you a little story. I was at a football game with some SEAL Team 6 members a year ago. I've never felt safer in my life. We were sitting in a suite drinking beer, eating some food, and I felt very calm. I'm like, hey, if anything goes wrong, we've got the world's most elite killers, protectors in this room. It's, it's important to remember that everything we enjoy in this country is because somebody was willing to either, one, kill for that freedom, or two, die for that freedom. And we should not forget that. And these guys aren't like the movies where they're a bunch of meatheads and all they do is they're like, you know, it's not like that. They're deep thinkers. They're incredibly intelligent and they're just great Americans. And to me, you could tell me, do you want to interview LeBron James or a member of Delta Force? I'd say, forget LeBron James. He's just, he puts a ball in a hole. This is a dude who's seen more things you could possibly imagine. Let me interview him all day long. Boy, I, you know what? It's so amazing you say that because whenever I hear some idiot football or, you know, basketball coach or whatever pontificate, I'm like, well, okay, you teach a guy to push a ball past the line in basketball for 20 years. I look back at my life and I'm like, what? I, I mean, I understand you're molding men and all that crap, but it's basketball. There's a, there's a basket. You put a ball in the basket. I mean, what the hell are we talking about here? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not even close to the same. It's like when Tom Brady compared playing in the NFL to being deployed. Not really the same thing, Tom. Uh, let's play a clip from American Joyride. Let's go. Um, do you remember the first time you ever found yourself in contact with the enemy and what your feelings were? Now it's a real thing. This isn't training. This isn't a simulation. These bullets that are coming our way, they're, they're planning to kill us. Do you remember what that was like? Yeah, and, and the easiest way I can, or at least, again, I'm going to describe it for myself. It's not as shocking as you'd think it would be. Okay. It's just not, you, you know, you think like, oh, my gosh, it's fundamentally different. But it doesn't really feel that different. It's just kind of like, oh, I, I don't know. It's just it's very accepted and very uh, maybe at that. And again, maybe because I had been, you know, by the time I got to Afghanistan, I was uh, I think I was a sergeant at that time. So, you know, I had some. I, I had some, you know, time in training and experience, et cetera. So maybe for me, it wasn't a big deal. Um, maybe if I was, you know, 18, fresh out of basic training and all, you know, maybe it would have been different. But for me, I for, quite frankly, for me, it was exciting because that's kind of what I had been wanting, you know. People, man, how, you know what? How, how humble are these guys when you talk to them? 
Oh, the, it, there's a guy I've interviewed many times named named Brad Thomas. You can watch the American Joyride episode with him. It's almost it's hard to believe how it's real because I'm looking at a guy like Brad Thomas, Black Hawk Down veteran, a Delta Force guy, and he just thinks he's a regular guy. He sees no difference between him or anyone else out there. And me, you know, Dan, you and I aren't exactly the most humble guys on the planet. I think we can admit that, right? I think if we were grade A, you know, like they are, we would treat it a little differently. To them, they're like, hey, let's go play some music in our free time. Let's do a little painting. It's like they almost don't even understand how big of a personality they are, which is kind of the coolest thing. It is unbelievable. I, 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 uh, I don't I don't know how I would be really with that. I, I, I don't know, but I know that every time I and I've watched American Joyride, you interview these guys, the number one thing is, man, they are humble. And I'm not gonna say they're matter of fact about it because that seems that 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 phrase kind of lessens it to me. But humble is the word. It, it, it is. Hey, I want to go back to something, and this just came out, and again, uh, I just got this from our guys. TMZ is now reporting that, listen to this, Iran reportedly threatens the national team's soccer families before the game tonight. Exactly what you said, David. Exactly. I, I, had, not, I had not seen that report at all. Uh, I didn't know that. But like I said, we're talking about a horrific regime that tramples on human rights. We should have blown them to hell in a handbasket in the early 80s when they kidnapped our citizens, when they put our brave service member, members' bodies on display. We didn't. I feel terrible for those players. They don't have a choice. Are they going to let their kids get killed over this? No. I mean, it's just terrible. See, they said if they don't behave, violence and torture could ensue back home. The Iranian players, as you and I talked about, had shown support by not singing the national anthem. Uh, they've made it clear to players that they expect no further protests in the World Cup, including when the team kicks off today, or the consequences could be dire. How about that? Well, let me just say this. I don't ever want to hear an NBA player who takes a knee. I don't ever want to hear an NFL player who talks about oppression, whatever it might be. I don't ever want to hear that again. If you're not willing to speak up against actual oppression, actual violence, actual threats, then your opinion doesn't matter. If you can't be consistent, you're a coward. So LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, and everyone else, these people need help, and you sit there silently like the absolute cowards you are. You know what I also think? I think these guys are opportunists. I think we understand, particularly uh, after Colin Cowherd got all this pub, all this money from Nike, all this stuff, I think victimhood and denouncing Indiana, not Indiana, the United States in terms of oppression, I think it sells. I think it's opportunism as much as cowardice. Oh, it's opportunism at its finest because it no one has a backbone anymore. And we, we play to the, the, the loud minority instead of the quiet majority. Most people in this country are grateful to be Americans. But yet you have idiots on Twitter who talk about how the cops are murdering people or how the government's terrible. Ron DeSantis is a fascist. And they amplify that and they treat it like it's real. And then you have idiots like LeBron James who doxes a police officer because he saved a young woman's life. You have idiots who treat Kyle Rittenhouse like he just murdered black people. Not true. Didn't shoot anyone who was African-American. And so when you have that and you allow those lies to unfold, this is what you get. And that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why OutKick is here, because we tell the truth and we're not cowards. 
One of the most amazing things about this game today is the mentality. Let me ask you a question. You, you, you as an Iranian player, thought enough to go ahead and sing the national or not sing the national anthem, right? I mean, that, that had to be a tough decision for you given what you know your country's government is about. Now you're going to play a game. Now think about the, the sporting mentality of this. Under a threat, of a, th- of a threat to your family. Now people may say, well, I would play my you-know-what off. I don't know, David. I, I, I don't know that I would play my you-know-what. I don't know how I would react in that. Yeah, and until, fortunately, you and I will never be in that situation because we live in the greatest country in the world. Right. But I agree with you. I mean, do you even want your own team to win? Do you want to give that coverage to your government, essentially what they call sports washing, knowing that it's being used to then cover up horrific crimes against humanity? I don't know. They're in a, they're in a between a rock and a hard place because if they if they do anything, they can kiss their family goodbye. The captain of the soccer team spoke out. We might never see him again once he gets back to Iran. But if they don't win same thing could happen. So there, there's no easy solution here. And I hope people really look at this and understand how lucky and grateful we all should be in the United States of America, because I don't want any part of that. I, you know, a saying I love that I, that I live by is it's better to have violent freedom than peaceful slavery. That's kind of the mindset I think people should have. Let me, let me, let me ask you before I let you go, let me, let me go back to American Joyride. Is that is that the feeling you get from the folks you interview? Oh, absolutely. It is better to have freedom with risks, and they'll tell you this firsthand, than it is to have slavery with complete peace. If you want absolute security, go to prison. They'll feed you three times a day. There's a big fence around you. You don't have to worry about it. Freedom comes with inherent risks. And if you can't accept that this country's not for you, Go to North Korea, go to Iran, go to China. But in this country, we have freedom, and I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Last thing before I let you go, give me a prediction today, Iran-United States. What's the score? I'll take USA 2-0, and my prayers are with the good people of Iran as they protest the brutal government. That's a great way to end it. Thank you, David. Great stuff, man. Thank you, Dan. That's David Hookstead. Uh, tonight, 9 o'clock uh, on OutKick, it is American Joyride, and it's tremendous. I'm telling you, tremendous. The, the, the interviews with the soldiers, the former soldiers, the Navy, I mean, it's incredible. You want to feel good about our country? Do you? American Joyride. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I got the United States winning tonight, and again, I am with David, I want the United States to win by 100, but I also want to say, God God be with these players who are under the threat of torture. Now, you know what's going to happen. People are going to say fake news, and maybe it is. I don't know. Who knows? But it seems plausible. It certainly seems plausible that families are being threatened. That's what it seems like to me. I could be dead wrong. Hey, I got Shane Beamer coming up. Think about that, coming off a big win. Uh, against Clemson. Two massive wins, matter of fact. Uh, We got a creeper going to the SEC. Tiger Woods is out. USA uh, taking on Iran. And guess who's back, 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 Hansy's back. He's all Hansy. You know who all Hansy is? I'll tell you who all Hansy is when we come back. Hey, don't forget Shane Beamer coming up 
Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, there's a saying in coaching, and it's not my saying. A friend of mine named Royce Waltman, who passed away, was my one of the assistant coaches at Indiana when I was there. Then he became the head coach at Indiana State. Took Indiana State to the NCAA tournament. He said this, get fired for anything but losing, and you'll always get another job. And every coach knows this. Like, every coach You know, that's why I laugh at sanctimonious presidents. That's why I laugh at sanctimonious coaches that get up there and they talk about leading men and they talk about discipline and they talk about honor. They're full of crap, and I'll tell you why they're full of crap. What do coaches do? They try to flip kids. You know what flipping kids is? Flipping kids is when a kid, 18, 17, 19, whatever, commits to a school, and I as a coach go in and try to flip that kid's commitment from that school to my school. There's no honor. There's no integrity in football. Actually, in basketball, I'm pretty good. I'm not even sure why. There are no bigger dirtbags in coaching than guys that coach basketball. There are none. But for some reason, college basketball, when a kid commits, they some reason stay committed. I don't get it. Somebody tell me. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. In football, it isn't like that. And I always laugh when I hear about honor and dignity and respect. Yeah, I got two words for you. My backside. Because there is none. So let's go again to the honor, the dignity, the respect. Uh, Hugh Freeze is going to coach at, let me turn this off, Hugh Freeze is going to coach at Auburn. Hugh Freeze is going to get a lot of money. Hugh Freeze is one of the biggest dirtbags in college coaching. He had the phone number of escort services on his University of Mississippi issued phone, said he misdialed. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Yes, I will say I digress today. I just did all of you on the YouTube chat, and I thank you all for being there. Uh, Dan, I watch sports to get away from all of life's craziness. There you go. So anyway, the phone numbers are explainable. Really? Tell me. Well, if you're not hung up in someone's personal life, all right, that's fine. Coach calling escort service. It's burned into every buddy's memory, but he went to Liberty and went 34 and 15. Well, back in 2016, the NCAA was slammed with 15 level one violations. Interesting. There's a guy currently an offensive coordinator in college football. He had been at Illinois. He'd been a lot of places. He's a friend of mine. His daughter played for my wife in softball here in, well, in Zionsville, Indiana. He's like, I go, tell me about Mississippi. Oh, you can't even imagine how much they paid for these wide receivers. So I knew this was coming before. Well, guess what? Uh, Hugh Freeze, not only did Hugh Freeze cheat, he lied to families about cheating. Now, y'all got to remember, this is a very religious man. This is a man that thumps the Bible. Back in high school, or back when he coached high school, a young lady accused Hugh Freeze when she wore a Rolling Stone shirt or some kind of shirt. Hugh said, well, that's against God. you got to change the shirt. The girl said, fine. So for some reason, according to the girl, 
he had her change in his office with only him there. And of course, Hugh Freeze did what every cheating, lying, thieving, backbiting Christian does. Now, not all Christians are cheating, lying, thieving, backbiting. Most are great. Awesome. I go to church every Sunday uh, at Trader's Point here, and the preacher talks about the cheating, lying, backbiting. Well, guess what? So Hugh Freeze did what they all do. They literally, he made himself a victim. He said all of these horrific things about a really good coach. I like him anyway, Houston Nutt. Did did Freeze apologize? Of course not. Maybe Jesus didn't tell him to apologize. Jesus, tell me. That's Hugh Freeze. That is Hugh Freeze. Certain statements made by university employees January 2016 appear to have contributed to misleading reports about about Coach Nutt. Well, you know who made the reports? Hugh Freeze. You know, so let's see what we got here. Messing around with young girls, sliding in the DM of young girls, cheating, lying. What else can we get into here? And, of course, there's always sex. I, I failed my family. I failed my family. I, who among us hasn't sinned? Hey, man, you can go sin, but why is a university a place of higher education hiring this fool? You know the reason. It's one reason and one reason only. It's to win a freaking football game. That's why I get a kick out of all of it. I get an unbelievable kick out of absolutely all of it. I'm going to go work for Jerry Faldwell's son, whose wife was having sex with the Gardner True Story, and as young Jr. watched. <laughs> Look, I'm considered a bad guy because I tell the truth, but I'll take that over this lying, thieving, cheating, full of crap. Hugh Freeze and lying, thieving, cheating Auburn. Hey, look, I don't, hey, look, Bruce Pearl is who he is, and you can get mad at Bruce Pearl all you'd like, but I got to tell you, I like Bruce Pearl. That dude just own up to everything. He'll own up to everything. I mean everything. This freaking Hugh Freeze, thank me, Jesus. Let me put my hands on you while I'm sliding into victims of, his, of sexual assault from his players' DMs allegedly back in the day asking a high school girl to change her shirt in front of him as he's the coach, having so many recruiting violations, the whole place goes on probation. They should have, you know, maybe canceled the program, lying about a previous coach and having sex squirts. But I misdialed. (laughs) All right. All right. Man, what a world we live in. Man, oh, man. And I got in trouble for saying I wouldn't go in a pool, go at it in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife. Woo! I don't care about Tiger Woods anymore. I only care about Tiger Woods when he's playing. Tiger Woods is expected to return. He pulled out of the Hero World Championships after developing plantar fasciitis in his right foot. I've had plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis hurts a lot. I'll tell you how to get rid of plantar fasciitis. Deer antler spray, telling you, in preparation and practice for this week's Hero World Champion, I've developed plantar fasciitis, difficult to walk. I decided to withdraw this week, focus my hosting duties. My plan is to compete in the match and PNC championships. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I'm done. I'll watch. When when he's playing, I watch. But the whole off-the-court drama of Tiger Woods, whether he's hurt, he's not hurt, hey, his son and him, it's a great story. It's cute, but I don't care. Maybe you care. I don't care. You wrecked your car, you lost your leg, but it's, it's, it's good theater. 
Now, he didn't lose his leg, but he was really fought back hard, really hard. And it's great, but I don't care anymore. I've decided at 60 I got more important things in my life, like this show, entertaining you. And Tiger Woods isn't interesting anymore unless he's on a leaderboard. Or unless he's stooping a cocktail waitress. Now, that will always be interesting to me. I'm sorry, but there are a couple things that I like. I like uh, comedians that talk dirty. I like Chris Rock. I like Eddie Murphy Raw. I don't like or didn't like Cosby and Seinfeld. Didn't like him. I like a little raunch, Lee Ross. I like a little filth. I know. And I like a little salation. I, I like a little, hey, who are you stooping? I like it. So when Tiger's giving it to the Perkins girl, I'm all in on that kind of stuff. I read People magazine for years, but I don't care. He's hurt. Yeah, I'm hurt. He's got plantar fasciitis. Yeah, I have plantar fasciitis. Yeah, I don't care. No, I don't. What can I tell you? Uh, Elon Musk says Apple is threatening to withhold Twitter from the App Store and that they must not be fans of free speech. Why are we so afraid of free speech, Apple? Tim, whatever your name is, Tim King. Tim Allen, Tim whatever, the Dookie Flash. Every time Duke's on TV and he's there, we show the CEO of Apple. What is so wrong? Why are, why are you all so afraid to stop the one-sided bias that happened? Why? Can somebody explain that to me? Like, I get it. You had a nice thing go. You could say whatever you wanted. You squelched people that had thoughts different, but that isn't what this country is built on. This country is built on free speech and the consequences that come with free speech. There certainly are those. But let me ask you a question. Why? Why is this such a threat to people? Why is Elon Musk such a threat? Why is free speech such a threat? I saw what that idiot LeBron J. Well, you know, they're going to say the N-word. No, no, they haven't. Hell, it's said all the time by people. But why are we so threatened by free speech? Can anybody explain that to me? I'm very curious. We are, uh, people are so threatened. I mean, we must get rid of Twitter. Fine, get rid of Twitter. I don't care. I mean, what are you going to do? You guys make me crazy. Tim Cook. And Tim Cook looks like exactly the same dweebs you see on TV, white dudes that went to Duke. Same exact self-important dweeb. And he's all mad. Tim is mad. He's mad. I want... uh, 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 I don't want free speech. You guys don't think... You're going to let people that I don't agree with say things on Twitter. Why? Why is that an issue? Hell, I'm not a Republican or Democrat. I'm common sense, and I don't see that as an issue. Somebody says something stupid, get them off. Put them in timeout. It's a problem. I, I live a simplistic life. I do. I'm very simplistic. Oh, my God, Tim Cook, what are we going to do? Oh, my God, they're mean. They're, they're going to take us off of Apple. All right, then I'll go buy an Android. I don't know. I don't care. I just, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me the level of people and how they involve themselves in stupid-ish and how people got so used to having it their way. Look, there's going to be, I'm telling you right now, there's going, I'm not saying there's going to be a civil war, and it isn't going to be black uh, versus white. It isn't. It's going to be us against the government. I'm, I see this stuff. People are getting pissed when they believe there is actual voter fraud and it's thrown in your face. Look, if you want to do voter fraud, do it. That's your thing. But don't put it in our face. 
I mean, Northwest Indiana has been voter fraud forever. But it was always behind the scenes. And occasionally a dude went to jail. We felt pacified. Hey, somebody went to jail. Frankie's in jail. All right. I didn't like it because I like Frankie. Frankie's a friend. But we're just getting it thrown in our face. And I'm telling you, people are getting tired. They're getting really tired. Better be careful here. People are getting tired of things like, well, we're going to stymie those that don't think like you. That's not the American way. Tim Cook, you should be embarrassed for yourself. I know you're rich and you're important and all that, but you should be embarrassed. You know what they should do? They should promote it because they are a company. This phone relies on what? Speech. Whether speech is actual talking, speech is texting, speech is emailing, speech. The world is nuts, and I'm here for it, baby. I am right here for it. All right, United States, Iran in a crucial match today. 2 o'clock, right here on Fox. I got to tell you, I got a noon to 3 show. If you're going to watch my show, I'm going to get all the good stuff in from noon to 2. And then from 2 to 3, I'm letting it fly. I'm going to sit there. Hey, yeah, oh, a cold stink. Saturday doesn't know what he's doing. Come on. That's what it's going to be. It is. It's exactly what it is going to be. And I can't wait. I got the United States winning 2 to zip. I got the United States... Uh, playing well. It's time for this guy. What's his name? Christian Pulisic. It's time for this guy to play. Look, if you're going to be the face of soccer in the United States, you're the golden child. You're the guy that's gone over and has garnered the respect of everybody. You got to show. You got to make a great play. I'm sorry. It's the way soccer is. You know Messi's going to give you something over the years. Ronaldo's going to give you something over the years. I go all the way back to Pele. Pele was going to give you something over the years. Kyle Rowe Jr. was going to give you something over the years. Great players make plays in the biggest events. We don't talk about Michael Jordan scoring 38 against the Sacramento Kings uh, in the middle of December. We talk about Michael Jordan's flu game. You know what I'm saying? That's what we talk about. We talk about Reggie Jackson, boom, boom, boom. We talk about Aaron F. and Boone, home run late. That's what we talk about postseason. I've said the same thing about Pelosic, Pelosic, whatever the hell his name is, that I'm going to say about Mike Trout. I get it. You're great, but you got to do it in the postseason. This is the match for this kid. And if he delivers, he'll be the biggest star in the United States for a little bit. And that's saying something. Tiger's on his way out. People have had enough of LeBron. You know, I don't know. Seems like Shaq and Barkley are the two biggest stars in the United States because they get commercials. But I'm looking forward to today, and this is the kid's time. The kid has to play today. Don't at me about it. And all you on my, uh, uh, all of you on here know that I'm telling the absolute truth. I digress, ladies and gentlemen. Polisic. All right, who cares? You know why I don't know his name? Daniel C. Because he hadn't done squat. I'll say his name right when he does something on the national stage. That's right. Pulisic. Pelosic. Pelosi. Is he related? I don't think so. All right. Grabby is back. So Deshaun Watson has officially been activated, and he's going to be the starter of the Cleveland Browns. Where is the Me Too movement? Where are all of you beautiful women that got so upset about so much stuff? 
You guys got upset. You came at me hard. Dan Wolken, America's most chicken blank journalist. Big article. USA Today, because I said I would not, when offered to go at it in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife, I said no, no. That was somehow sexist, misogynist, and one journalist called me rapey for saying no. My sister, a prosecutor, said it's the exact opposite, but hey, that's all right. But I haven't heard women's groups in Cleveland say a frickin' word. Where's Mary Kay Cabot? Where the hell's Mary Kay Cabot? She's the voice. She's an insider. Or is she just another full of crap, quote, journalist? She's a woman. She's right there. Where is she? I don't get it. She's like the beat writer. I haven't read one thing of her saying anything. What are we going to do? We're going to let a guy assault 23, 30 women, whatever it is, show up, play, and we're not saying nothing? I'll say something. It's a freaking degenerate that should never play. Not a, One of these gets you in trouble. There you go. Mary Kay Cabot. Look her up. She is the beat writer for the Brown. And said a word. And said a word. Why? Well, because I believe everybody has, like the NFL, excuse me, like the NBA, Mary Kay Cabot is in pocket. Nobody says anything. I'm looking right through her Twitter right now. Reinstated. Deshaun Watson, ready to roll. We'll put blinders on any fallout. Okay. Well, I'm looking here. Where's her fallout? There's none. Makes you wonder. Why selective? Old white guy? Of course. You know that. Old white guy. We're easy. It is easy to pounce on old white guy. Didn't bother me. Kind of made fun of it. Actually deleted my Twitter account because I'm like, yeah, it's stupid. But anyway, old white guy, easy. Young African-American, not so easy, is it, Mary Kay Cabot? Telling you. He's activated. He's going to play. And you ain't going to hear a word about it. Not one stinking word. And I'm cool if that's the country that we're going to live in where we don't say one stinking word. I'm cool with it if that's what we're going to do about everything. But this is ridiculous. Not one word will be said other than maybe on a broadcast, the shills that broadcast for the NFL will give you a background, but no opinion. Sad, really. No, it is. It's really, really sad. But hey, man, the NFL is big business. The NFL umbrellas every other sport along with college football and Mary Kay Cabot and the rest Man, oh, man, they just fall in line when it's time to fall in line. What are you going to do? All right, when we come back, I got my top five NFL MVP candidates. One might surprise you. And I don't do it like you do it. I do it how I do it. And mine's smarter than yours. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Also... My man Bruce Pearl did return fire against Dan Wolken. Dan Wolken is such a weasel. He's just a little weaselly guy. But aren't they all? Seriously. Next time you're at a basketball game, because it's easier at a basketball game, look over at Press Row. You'll see the most disinteresting, uninspiring human beings you're ever going to see. You will. Dan Wolken's right in the middle. I'm glad Bruce Pearl fired back at him. Let's get Bruce on the show. Bruce said he'd come on the show. I texted him yesterday. All right, we come back. I got my top five NFL candidates, 
and why Jeff Saturday proved that if you haven't coached, you haven't fed your family coaching, you have no freaking idea about coaching. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Keep it right here, ladies and gentlemen, as Shane Beamer is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. What an end of the season for Shane Beamer, man. Two big wins, including one over rival Clemson in what they call it, Death Valley. Holy cow. Last night, Jeff Saturday showed you if you don't coach, you don't know. There's a difference between coaching like I'm going to coach high school while I'm a coach, I'm a lawyer, doctor, mouth on TV. There's a big difference between doing it to feed your family. This is why when I pay, when I get a game and the announcer is a guy who played but never coached, I just put it on mute. I do. Football, I don't because the game is too long. But basketball, I don't listen. Now, if Seth Greenberg or Fran Frischella or someone that's coached, I listen because players have no idea. And when you listen to a guy like Billis or Hummel or these guys tell you, well, they should do this, they have no idea. If you haven't done it, look, I get that you all shouldn't do that. But when, you, but when you've coached, you know, and Saturday last night showed you he had no idea. You can sit there with a headset and you can go, a boy! But real coaching comes down to knowing your team, feeling the pulse, looking in the eyes of your players and making a decision. And he was woefully inept at that. Woefully. Any human being that watched that game last night that had ever coached to feed their family knew you got to get a timeout, not necessarily to save the time. No. Your team was strong. Your team wasn't right. Your team was loose, I call it. Your team looked disheveled. You call timeout, you get it organized, you get them into the right play. Hey, can we play what Saturday said after the game last night? I, I know like we had it earlier. Really Maybe. Since at the moment, I thought we had a good play. Um, I thought we would get to, yeah, and I felt like we would get to it. You know, we, um, you know, obviously we don't do great on the backside, so it, it, it's, it's worse than it, you know. But I felt good about the call before. felt like we had time. We would have timeouts afterwards. We were in striking distance. So, yeah, I, I never felt like the pressure of needing the timeout. Thought, like I said, I thought the call was good. And, the, you know, we had... Again, we were in that mode pretty much the whole second half, so it was pretty consistent with what we were doing. So, again, it wasn't like a change for us. Um, we just didn't execute it. And that shows you exactly what he doesn't know. Well, I called the right play. Well, we were doing – no, no, no. You got to look at your team every play. You got to look, and you got to be able to see. And I'll tell you this, had they snapped the ball and scored a touchdown, people will say, well – you know what, you'd be singing a different tune. You might be right, but I got to tell you, there was no chance they were going to do it, and that's based on my experience. I mean, I can tell you when teams are going to score mostly. Like, I made a ton of money yesterday after, and this is the Colts, and this is culture. After the Colts gave up a third and 14, great play, couldn't get the guy down, and EJ Speed got undisciplined, hit the quarterback in the head, the kid Kenny Pickett, guess what? I bet immediately touchdown on this possession because I looked at the Colts and they were done. Done. Now, Pittman went up and made a play. I'll tell you something else. Matt Ryan could have got the first down. He didn't. He stopped short 14 years. Everybody told me the most valuable thing about Matt Ryan was his experience. And Jeff Saturday showed he has absolutely no idea how to coach. 
He can tell you we had the right play. We were in some blah, blah, blah. But he didn't know his team, and that's coaching. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Not a soul. I mean, I'll listen if you want to tell me, and then I'll nod my head being respectful, and then I'll go, yeah, you're full of crap. You don't know. Actually, most times I won't even be respectful. So anyway, all right, let's talk about my five candidates for most valuable player. Now, a lot of you, my number five is Josh Allen. Now, I'm doing this right now, and the reason I'm doing this is because I said after week two when people were talking about MVP candidates is way too early. So I'm revisiting this right now. Look, Josh Allen is the early frontrunner, was the early frontrunner to be the most valuable player, but Josh Allen hasn't been great. And again, if you've coached, you'll understand this. I hate to keep doing this. Back in the summer, when I watched the golf, I watched uh, Rodgers, Mahomes, uh, Brady, and Allen. I told you Allen's eyes are bad in big moments. Not to say he's not a great player. He is. He's top five candidate for most valuable player. Big, strong kid, makes plays, great plays at the end. But I'm just telling you, big moments, until I'm proven wrong, I'm going to stick with that. I'm just telling you. He's been terrific. He's led his team. Big comeback this past week. I got texts from a couple NFL friends. Bad eyes, my backside. Because I keep saying this about Allen. Nobody believes this but me. And I'm probably wrong. And frankly, frankly, I hope I am. But he's been terrific. I mean, you guys act like, you know what? You think Allen stinks. I I never said Allen stinks. I think Allen's pretty good. I do. He's top five. You can make an argument. He's top two. You can make whatever argument you want. This is my argument. All right? And I think I'm wrong about this next guy, but he's been better than Allen. Eight and three is where Tua is. Tua Tungavailoa burst on the scene halftime national championship game. Tua Tungavailoa replaced Jalen Hurts. Next thing you know, boom, 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 boom. Alabama beats Georgia, wins the national championship, and a star is born. Then he gets hurt. Jalen Hurts transfers, all this kind of stuff. Fine. Tua Tungavailoa, as our friend Armando said, They've been trying to get rid of Tua Tungavailoa forever. I mean, think about this summer. They tried hard. Think about two summers ago. Hell, they got fined, investigated for tampering with Tom Brady. They wanted anybody. They wanted Deshaun Watson, not Tua Tungavailoa. They got rid of the coach Flores because he didn't get along with Tua Tungavailoa. He didn't develop Tua Tungavailoa. Brian Flores did what people do now. He sued. 2,500 yards. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions on an 8-3 and three team. Now, I don't know about you. He's completing it at 70%. Now, somebody's going to say to me, well, the real MVP is Tyreek Hill. The real MVP is the GM. They got Tyreek Hill here. I'm all for all those things. Don't get me wrong. I am for all of it. But to a Vailoa is the guy making it all happen. Tua Tungavailoa has had a fantastic year. And moving forward, I will admit to this. I don't know about you guys, 
But I haven't talked about Miami other than when I'm talking to Armando. I don't even think about Miami. I think about Lamar Jackson because I have a weird thing for Lamar Jackson. I think about Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is great. I talk about San Diego because I think Justin Herbert, except for this past week, is overrated. I think about a lot of teams. But I got to tell you, this might be the best team. Could be right. Could be wrong. Don't know. But I think they're damn good, and I think this guy – is ahead of Josh Allen. My next guy is simply the eye test. And his name is Micah Parsons, defensive edge rusher, lineman, you name it, from the Dallas Cowboys. Now, you're going to say to me, ain't no lineman going to win. And I'm going to say to you, well, they should. This dude, every possession, every drop back, is involved. You know how a quarterback is the guy that's under center, right? And he's got to make the plays. This guy is every play you've got to account for him. Think about that. Every play, he must be found. Every play, they must know where he is. Every play. And if you don't, you know what's going to happen? He's going to cause a ruckus. Now, you ask, I ask, what's a ruckus? Strip sack, tackle for loss, hurry throw, a ruckus. And it's every play. I got to tell you, I'm not big on talking about linemen as MVPs. I was. Richard Dent, I don't know if he was MVP, but he should have been the MVP. If not him, Dan Hampton. If not him, a linebacker, Mike Singletary or Wilbur Marshall or Otis the Rope. I don't know. But what I do know is this, ladies and gentlemen. What I do know is this guy impacts as much as any player impacts in the NFL. I'm just saying, and by the way, stay here. Shane Beamer coming off an ass-kicking of Tennessee and then a hell of a win against uh, Clemson. The head coach of the Gamecocks is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Don't leave. All right, numero deuce. And this could go one way or the other. You you tell me. This could go any way that you want to go. This could go. I got Patrick Mahomes number two. Some people have Patrick Mahomes number one. I got Patrick Mahomes number two. Go to Twitter right now and tell me uh, who is your MVP. Who is your MVP? All right. Who is it? I got not Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is great. Patrick Mahomes is number two for the MVP award. Patrick Mahomes, you can make the argument, is the MVP. You could absolutely do that. 1,000%. And I would say to you, yeah, you might be right. But I got to tell you, he ain't number one. He's had a great year. Man, is he good. Holy cow. I mean, let me go over his last three games. 320 or 331, 329, 320. That's all passing. I mean, come on, people. Before that, two straight 400-yard games. Let me go Patrick Mahomes since October 16th against the Bills. 320 or 338 yards at San Francisco, 423. Tennessee, all he did was 446. Jacksonville, all he did was 331. At the Chargers, 323, three touchdowns, no interceptions. LA, 320. 
Now, he's had some picks in that time. Where is he at here? 5, 6, 10, 14 to 5, 7, 6. Eh, not great. But that's why he's not the MVP. See, the MVP, ladies and gentlemen, is Jalen Hurts. And don't at me about it. Like, don't even think about adding me about it. If you're going to at me about Jalen Hurts, then you're a dummy. You're a dummy. I was going to swear, but I don't want to swear. They tell me if I swear, they can't monetize it. Jalen Hurts, to me, is not only the MVP, but he is by far the MVP. Like, when I say by far, I'm talking about he is the reason that the Philadelphia 76ers, under Nick Sirianni, have come from nowhere and are the best team in the NFL. Now, you got to question them a little bit. I mean, how in the hell did you guys play so bad against the, uh, against a really bad, really bad Colts team? And it's the first time I've said really, really bad. But let me go into some things for you, if you don't mind. Jalen Hurts ran for 147 yards. Let me say that again. Uh, oh, uh-uh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. 150 Seven yards. Quarterback. 150. Seven yards. Against Green Bay. Why? They needed it. You know Jalen Hurts did against the Colts? Jalen Hurts, I said this yesterday on my indie show. You know how in CYO football, there's a big kid? We had a kid named Pat Burns. Give the ball to Pat Burns. Pat Burns, legendary CYO player. Nobody could stop him. Unstoppable. Eighth grader. That's what Jalen Hurts became when Jalen Hurts decided to beat the Colts. He became the big guy in CYO football. He became the guy that you give the ball to, and boom, away you go. He just did. I'm sorry. Jalen Hurts, to me, is the MVP. I was dying to put Taylor Heineke in this mix. I was. Because you got to. Serious business. You got to put Taylor Heineke in this. How could Taylor Heineke not at least be in the mix? He's not. He should be. I'm just saying. Let me go back to something. Let me go back to something, and I'm curious your all's thoughts on this. I'm on the YouTube chat now. All right? Let me ask you YouTube guys this. You're running an organization. That organization is is the biggest in the state in terms of interest, game day money-making, one-day money-making, money for the city, money for downtown. And it's all dependent on performance. Is it not? Isn't football based on performance? Winning or losing? Isn't interest in sports based on performance? So let me ask you, YouTube chat, Would you turn that over to somebody that's never done it before? Would you turn that over to somebody who's a leader of men, but he's never done it before? Does that make sense to do? Now, I said this, and I'm in. I, I criticized Bill Cowan, and I was all in on Saturday because, let's be honest, the Colts' season is over. But but would you do that? That's the bigger question. I know I'm talking too much about the Colts today, but it's a bigger picture. Would you turn your billion-dollar business, would you make the front door of your billion-dollar business, would you put it in the hands of somebody that's never 
been on this side of the business. Guy's a really good salesman. Would you make him CEO immediately, even after he retired for five or six years? Would you do that? Of course you wouldn't do that. Colts did it. And frankly, they're getting what they deserve. <clears throat> hey, Indy, while well, I got you. Good news, Andrew Nebhart hit a game winner last night to beat LeBron James and the dreaded, hated Los Angeles Lakers. He hit a runner. He hit a winner. My man Mark Boyle went nuts. I cannot, cannot wait to talk about it for a variety of reasons. One of which, frankly, is that I don't like the Pacers. Or excuse me, I don't like the Lakers. Nemhard with the drive. I'm watching it. Kick out. Three on the way for the win. Got it! I said runner. What am I, nuts? At the buzzer. And the great Mark Boyle had an incredibly, incredible call on it. So LeBron goes down. Pacers are the most interesting story in the NBA in a league where there are no interesting stories. Uh, Dan, that's tough. Some people are better uh, coaches than players. Gretzky, awesome player, bad coach, magic. That's why Larry Bird's really impressive. Seriously. Spice Rack says there's not a chance in hell I'm doing it. He's right. Uh, A. Uh, a Money Wilson says I'd put my child in there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, only if I want to set money on fire for fun. See, but here's the situation in every single NFL city. It's not just, particularly Indianapolis, where, look, you come downtown not that often anymore. You come downtown to go to the Colts game. You go eat at St. Elmo's. You go down the street to the Slippery Noodle. I was there yesterday doing the show. That's the value of an NFL franchise. And I got to tell you, it affects the entire city. Even a town like Nashville. Everybody walks across the bridge. You go to Nissan Stadium, but everybody walks back and populates what? Broadway on a Sunday. Not saying Broadway wouldn't be crowded, but let's be honest. You get 80,000 people all kind of jacked up. Most of them want to go do something after an afternoon game. I'm just telling you. You don't put that in the hands of amateurs. I was all in because the Colts season's over. I hope they keep losing, get a better draft choice. That's about all I got, if you want to know the truth. That's about all I got with this. Hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Miguel Cabrera used to be a stud. Miguel Cabrera, I remember him as a 20-year-old playing third base. Now, nobody knows even right now where Miguel Cabrera is playing. Some may, let me ask you guys on the YouTube chat. Do you know where Miguel Cabrera is playing? No, you don't. He's playing in Detroit. His name is Midgey. Seems like a great guy. Miguel Cabrera is now like 107 years old. He was born in 1983. All right? So he's 39 years old, going to be 40 years old in April. All right. Miguel Cabrera is announcing his last year in baseball, and it's significant. 507 home runs, 3,088 hits, 1,800 runs batted in. He's won a couple of World Series. He was a skinny kid when he came up with big talent, and he stayed and he played. He's a 12-time All-Star. Uh, won the Triple Crown in 2012. 
Miguel Cabrera announced that this is his last season. And I got to tell you, I ain't mad about it. What a great career. Salute. We'll talk about more Miguel Cabrera as we get closer to the season. But salute to you, Miguel Cabrera. You the man. Uh, You know who also is the man? Bruce Pearl. I was texting Bruce Pearl yesterday. There is a weasel. His name is Dan Wolken. There is no bigger weasel. Dan Wolken was John Calipari, sports information director uh, at Memphis. And Dan Wolken is exactly what you think. He's a little weaselly guy, never played, calls everybody who disagrees with him a liar, has been on my ass for years, and I don't care. I feel it to be a badge of honor when punks like Dan Wolken get on my ass. But he took a shot yesterday at Bruce Pearl, the head basketball coach, at Auburn over the hiring of Hugh Freeze. Let's see it. I have to say, I don't understand the Auburn fan base backlash on Hugh Freeze. Last I checked, your basketball coach is Bruce Pearl. That's a shot from a dipstick. That's a hypocritical shot. When you worked for John Calipari at Memphis, things happen. I mean, they're documented. I love Cal. I don't think Cal, I don't think there's a better coach in college basketball. I think Cal is the perfect fit. I love the man. But I got to tell you, at Memphis, there was some stuff. So this idiot, Wolken, decides he's going to take a shot at Pearl. Pearl, who is the best, says, so I guess it's safe to say you're not a fan. And every guy in college basketball said thank you. Because Dan Wolken is one of these little weeny media guys that, you know what, hides behind a microphone, excuse me, hides behind a typewriter, rips on people, and he's never done anything. That's all. He's never done anything. But Dan Wolken takes on Pearl, and Pearl just laughs at him, discards him like we all should. I'm sad that we're spending this much time. The good thing about these newspaper guys is they're becoming less and less significant. There used to be a time where, oh, my God, this was said about me in the paper? Oh, my God. I can't believe it. What is D-B-A-P? B.S. says he's gone B, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But God bless you. God bless you, Bruce Pearl. You know, athletes are now saying, we're the new athlete. We're the new athlete. We're coming back at the media. Yeah, you're idiots. You are. I mean, if Draymond Green's leading your group, you're an idiot. See punch thrown at Jordan Poole. You're an idiot. But anyway, I like coaches should come back at these idiots. I love what Elon Musk is doing. Has anybody watched Elon Musk just tell people when they put out nonsense? Have you, ever, have you seen Elon Musk just come back at these guys and say, that's not true? No, that's crap. No, that's not right. Associated Press is lying. More people need to do that because, because more lies are being told out there. I'm not mad at it. I 1,000% like it. I 1,000% respect it, and I respect it, period. Uh, The poll should say, will Dan say Urban Meyer today? You know what? Uh, Urban Meyer may be at my house this weekend hanging out. There you go, Eminem. I said it. Who else would you like me to say? I'm in. I'll say whatever you want. What do I care? I only have certain go-tos. I talk for five hours a day. All right, let me go back to something else. I don't know if you saw this, but we had a big conversation yesterday about pedophiles. We had a big conversation 
about the about Kim Kardashian and her ilk not saying, "Hey, look, you pedophilia, ridiculous uh, Balenciaga company, you jackasses out there." Well, so she did say something, and what she said wasn't, "Hey, look, you guys were out of here." So Balenciaga has decided that, you know what, Um, we're going to sue the ad company. We're going to sue the ad company, and we're mad about it. We're really, really mad about it. We're mad that these ads came out. Oh, okay. You didn't have anything to do with these ads? I guess we'll find out. And I guess, I guess, if you're going to give this Balenciaga, whatever the hell it is, credit, uh, or you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess suing somebody is what you should do. I guess. But look, let's be honest. They filed a $25 million lawsuit against the producers of the controversial ad. There's nobody in this mammoth company, nobody, that looked at this and said, this is wrong. You know what it's time for? It's time for a sex tape release. It is. It's time for a Kardashian sex tape release. That's how they go about the business of their business. It is. When things get hot, release a sex tape. No, seriously. Think about it. It's time. You know what? It's time for a Kardashian sex tape release. The heat is on. So what do they do? They take off clothes. What do Kardashians do when things get uh, a little bit hot? They take off their clothes. That's what they do. So it's, uh, it's getting, you know, there's some heat on Kim Kardashian. Time for a sex tape. Think about it. People are coming at Kim Kardashian. Uh, what do they do? Take off your clothes. Tell me I'm wrong. That's exactly what they do. They do it like it's their job. Hey, look at my ass. Hey, look at these. Hey, I'm wearing nothing. I'm wearing cellophane. Today's body paint day in the Kardashian household. Look at me. That's what they do. That's what most people do. They distract. Hey, what are you doing today? Well, you know, I just just met. I just met with... uh, with my people. I'm catching a lot of heat here, and I got two more sex tapes I can release. One's got a goat in it, and I think if we release that one now, I think people will get distracted from this Balenciaga thing, and I think we can get through it, and people will still buy our stuff. Courtney, you got anything you can add to it? Yeah, you know what? I just got ass implants. I did. Uh, I just got a little padding back there. They took fat from the back of my neck and injected it into my, my booty. I, I can show that. All right. Tell me I'm wrong. <clears throat> the legend, ladies and gentlemen. What a great year. What a great finish. And he's not done. Shane Beamer, the head man, South Carolina Gamecocks, going to join us right now. I can't wait. I'm so happy for this guy. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Uh, I got to tell you, um, I, I've never met Coach Beamer other than followed him on Twitter and had him on the show 
Uh, but I've always been a fan. I was a fan of his dad, big fan of his dad. Um, and I remember when John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh and Cam Cameron, when I was a head basketball coach at Bowling Green, Cam Cameron was a head coach, I think, at Indiana. <clears throat> they stopped in my office on the way to Virginia Tech, and we, we talked for about an hour and a half about coaching. And I said, where are you guys headed? And they go, we're headed to see Coach Beamer at Virginia Tech. He's the best coach in the country. And I'm like, wow. So I started following Coach Beamer, and then by proxy started following Shane. And, Coach, I got to tell you, uh, it's fun watching your team. Congratulations, particularly these last two weeks. What a finish. Yeah, it's been pretty awesome. It's, uh, you know, college athletics is crazy, Coach, and and um, proud of the resiliency of the guys we have on this team. we got a bunch of fighters that, you know, they love to compete. They love to work, and we got better as the year went on, and and uh, really capped it off with two uh, really, really special weeks. You go to Florida, and you get the hell beat out of you. It's easy. Everybody's all on board when you're winning, right? So what happened from Florida to Tennessee? Good question. Um, first of all, you know this, and it's cliche, but I mean, I think a lot of that starts in the off season with the way that you guys train and the, and the mentality of your players and all that to be able to deal with adversity and and mental toughness. And and we were awful that night against Florida, but you also, I think, as the head coach, you got to look at you know big picture as well. And and we were terrible, but we also we turned the ball over three times to start the second half. So we had our first four plays of the second half. We turned the ball over on three of them and we were deep in our own territory. So when you do that, the score is going to get out of whack. And, and, you know, we had, I'm not making excuses, but we had some issues with the flu that week. So we just, we were just off. And um, I knew we weren't as bad as we looked. And it's also one of those, you know, it's not like you're going to go sign a free agent off the street. Like these are your guys and you, and that's life. You dealt with some adversity. We, we stunk in Gainesville, but you know what? I told him after the game, we got an opportunity these next two weeks against Tennessee and Clemson to completely change everything uh, nationally with how this program is perceived. And, and uh, we came right back to work on Sunday, the very next day and, had a great week of practice, played great against Tennessee, got confidence, and then played great against uh, Clemson. So just really, really proud of just the, the mental toughness of the players on our team. When, when you were preparing, you know, for Tennessee, and at the time, man, Tennessee is number five. I mean, they're in the picture. I'm guessing it's easy for the players to see, you know, we got to play. But what was the vibe like in practice that week? Did you see what came coming? Yeah, I really did. You know, it's it's pretty cool, Coach. We um, on, you know, and you got to give your team a day off at some point during the week. So our day off that we give our players is Monday. So we play a game on Saturday, and then we we meet with them on Sunday to review the previous game, and then we go out on the field at six thirty on Sunday evenings, and it's really we're only out there for 30, 45 minutes. The guys that played in the game the night before don't do a whole lot. And it's really more of a developmental practice for the young guys. But I knew we were going to be all right against Tennessee from a mentality standpoint that night at practice. Like it was spirited. And we had a bunch of our guys. We do a little scrimmage for the guys that are red shirting and didn't play a lot the night before. And it was an absolute war 
out there, spirited, energetic. You would have thought we were playing for the national championship that night, and it was everyone. Um, and that tells you, you know what, you got a good locker room, you got leaders. They're disappointed about yesterday, but it's a new week. And, uh, you know, the, the, the guys on the team, they bounced back quick after losses, and they bounced back quick and, and felt good. And then that carried over throughout the week, too. And that was really the message that week, Coach, was with Tennessee, the way they play offense – and the way they play defense, and then our game plan going into that game, our players on offense and defense, we're going to have a ton of one-on-one -on -one opportunities, you versus the guy at Tennessee. And uh, we just preach competition in this program all the time, and and Tennessee game was a competitive game with a one bunch of one-on-one -on -one battles, and, and our guys were excited to play and, and played really well that night. How, you know, I, I never coached football, basketball. There is a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, so there's a ton of pride, right? I mean, look, you got, you're in your underwear in basketball. You're, everybody can see when you get whipped. How excited do players get when they realize, hey, look, it's me against this guy? I would hope a lot. Uh, and first of all, in, in <laughs> recruiting, I mean, we, we, look for, we look for guys that love to compete, we have core values in this program and competition is one of them. So we try and build our off season around that in January, February, March, throughout the summer competition. Like we put our guys in a lot of one-on-one -on -one competitive drills throughout the off season, trying to instill that. But I would hope a lot, you know, and, and talking about that Tennessee game specifically with the way our game plan on defense that night was we were going to try and commit everybody to the box to stop the run. And we were going to leave our defensive backs on an island all night against the receivers from Tennessee and vice versa offensively, the way that Tennessee plays defense, they were going to leave their defensive backs and a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities against our receivers. And, and uh, we've, if you've done a good job of recruiting, you've got competitive guys in your program that, that, that rise up and get excited about that opportunity and not shy away from it. Coach, this is a dumb question, but it's a personal question that I've always wanted to ask, and I don't know if I've ever asked a football coach. You're in the SEC. You know this. Every game, I mean, it's three or four hours of just freaking just insane, right, for you. You're thinking. you. What's it like to have a game like Tennessee where finally last five minutes you can be on the sideline and have a win in the SEC where you're not – like you, you can look around, right? You can breathe a minute or what? What's that like in football? It's amazing, uh, and you know, <laughs> as the head coach, you're always coaching. And even when the game's in hand, you we talk about don't look at the scoreboard and 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 whatnot. But certainly, we we, we were in control of the Tennessee game through the fourth quarter, and uh, it's pretty cool just to be able to. You know, after in a situation like that, celebrate, hug teammates, coaches, staff members, uh, and really just kind of look around and, and get out of that tunnel, if you will, where you can take it all in. And that was a special night in our stadium for our fans and players. To, uh, so to be able to really savor that is good, you know, compared to Saturday at Clemson. I mean, you're literally holding your breath and, and you're in a dog fight <laughs> yeah. till there's a minute left in the game. I mean, it's uh that one took years off my life. I'll say that. That's what I'm saying. You, 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 I used to like, I used to have family. I coached Bowling Green, the gym's this big, and I'd have my cousin go, Hey, didn't you see me at the game? I was sitting right across. I go, No, 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 yeah. I, I never, you know, <laughs> I didn't see nothing. I'm just like, 
Coach Shane, uh, Shane, Spencer Rattler, um, Florida game, not great. Has there been a difference in him? Is this, did you see, you know, improvement over the year? Where, where are you at with him? He's been great. Yeah, he's been awesome. And, you know, I hate it because what he showed in these last two games, I was really seeing him practice throughout the year and, um, and knew what a talent guy he was. He's a great young man coach. He works his butt off. He's tough mentally and physically and, and put a lot into it. He's a great teammate that has the respect of the people on this team. Uh, and I hate that a lot of the games weren't transferring over to what we saw in practice, but um, I knew how talented he was. And I met with him before the Tennessee game and told him like, look, man, like let's not lose sight of what you've accomplished. I know statistically it may not be what you want right now, but you're the first quarterback in South Carolina history to ever beat Texas A&M. Uh, you've beaten a first quarterback to beat Kentucky in Lexington it's here since 2012. You know, you got an opportunity here these next two weeks to beat top 10 teams back to back. And uh, we're already bowl eligible. I'm talking about this is going into the Tennessee game. So he had accomplished a lot. And I was just really happy for him to be able to go out and have the, the games that he's had the last two weeks because he's a really talented guy. And I don't know what changed. I think it's just continuing to get more and more comfortable with what we were doing. And then really, if anything, we've got some talented receivers and tight ends and, and running backs. And I felt like Spencer just did a great job of, of stepping up in the pocket and then just being willing to throw the ball downfield and, and give those uh, playmakers opportunities to make plays. And, and they have for him the last two weeks. You know, I have so much respect for him. It's kind of like Jalen Hurts, you know. I mean, he was the front runner for the Heisman. He gets beat out. A lot of kids sulk. A lot of seem. I don't know. You get tested, don't you, when things don't go your way? And that kid has passed that test and has come out better, at least it seems like to me. Oh, he's awesome. And you're you're exactly right, Coach. Like, he – he. Uh, there's, there's not much that is going to get to him. He's so mentally tough. And, and it goes back. You mentioned Jalen. Like, people forget – I was at Oklahoma, and when Jalen came in, Spencer was on that team as a freshman. So Spencer was able to watch Jalen when Jalen was the starter. And then Spencer in, in 2020, people forget, you know, he he opened up – or we, with him as our starting quarterback at Oklahoma, we started 0-2 in the Big 12 that year. We, we lost to uh, uh, Kansas State at home and then Iowa State on the road. So here's Spencer Rattler. He goes from being – um, uh, our, he, he goes from replacing Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. And then in his first two games in the Big 12, he's 0-2. But he weathered that storm. Then we go play Texas down in Dallas in the Red River rivalry game. And he actually gets benched in that game in 2020. And then Lincoln put him, Lincoln Riley put him back in the game in the second half. He leads us to a win in four overtimes, I think. Doesn't lose a game the rest of the year. We win the Big 12 and win the Cotton Bowl. So he's been through adversity before. So this year, no matter how what adversity he went through, never phased him. He's mentally tough. Uh, he's a competitor, and, and I'm glad he's our quarterback. I know that. Yeah, I mean, I always say, you know, you don't quit. You don't pout. You come out, you come out stronger. All right, you mentioned Clemson. Dude, I'm watching that game, and I'm saying punter, MVP. I'm not sure I've ever said that before, but damn, was your punter good in that game? He's amazing. They give out the uh, the Ray Guy Award in college football for the National Punter of the Year, and no disrespect to anybody else, but if it's not Kai Kroger, then they need to just give the, just oh. do away with the award. I mean, the guy's unbelievable, and 
I mean, Clemson started three drives Saturday, if I believe I'm right in saying this, three drives inside their own five-yard line. I mean, I don't know the last time I saw that in college football. Not just inside your 20 or inside your 10, inside their own five. And he's uh, he's done it all year for us. He's also our holder. He does a great job as a holder. And he's a really good athlete. I mean, he threw a punt. The, the, the only points we scored against Florida was a 50-yard fake punt touchdown pass that he threw. Uh, yes, against Florida, he right. threw a touchdown pass last year against Tennessee. He threw a fake field goal for a completion against Vanderbilt. I mean, he's a he's a great young man. First of all, uh, Midwestern guys from Illinois, up in your old your territory, and and uh, just a great great player and and a and a fantastic uh, weapon for us. Coach, people, I had Urban on, and we've talked for years going back when we were both at Bowling Green about rivalry games and you know we played Toledo then he in football me in basketball and Ohio State Michigan has the clock that counts down and all that kind of stuff your rivalry with Clemson is as big as any in the country how do you go uh, about that game yeah you know it's a it's a fine line because you know I've been some places I was at Georgia Tech, when I first got into coaching as a graduate assistant, and you were not allowed to wear red at any point in the building, you know, at Georgia Tech. Um, and then so I've been on like some extremes and then the other extreme where it's you, you try and make it like a normal game. And and uh, we don't have a countdown clock to Clemson because I'm one of those guys. I don't want to make any game more important than the other game. We always talk about it's about us. And uh, I'll be honest, I feel like last year against Clemson, I probably made it bigger than it needed to be and probably put even more like undue. I don't want to say anxiety, but made it. It was all, it's already big. And I probably made it even bigger than it needed to be. And we didn't play well last year against Clemson, to say the least. So, you know, our guys know how big this rivalry is. South Carolina is a small state. You truly are either Carolina or Clemson in this state. It is very heated. It's very bitter. It's an awesome rivalry. One of the best in college athletics. There's no doubt about it. But we um, our guys knew how big it was. But really, our focus more last week was just on us. And, and the team that wins this game isn't going to be the team that hates the other team the most it's going to be the team that plays the best and coaches the best so here's what we need to do to go play well let's make sure we prepare that way during the week and then also you know this you've been around athletics your whole life it, those rivalry games are emotional and you got to make sure too you don't get caught up in the emotion and, and forget about playing good football and coaching good football too i mean it's emotional for coaches as well uh, we're all competitors, and, and I thought our players did a really, really good job of that on Saturday of just, you know, um, you know, keeping tunnel vision on what's important and just doing doing their jobs and playing good football. You know, Coach Knight had a saying that I, I just really, I think fits. It's victory favors the team making the fewest mistakes. It's not teams that play. How how difficult is it? You you mentioned this, and I want to. I want to piggyback on it. It is emotional. It is tough. The crowd is on you. Death Valley is in a ridiculously hard place to play. Players know what's at stake. But they've got to, you know, you can't hit a guy out of bounds. You can't, you know what I mean? How, how much of preparation goes into that? Talking about, look, let's not do something stupid. Let's not hurt ourselves. Yeah, a lot. Uh, we, we talk each week, you know, how – 
there's five ways I feel like we win. We're going to win football games here, and one of those is playing smart football, and that's penalties and mental errors and all that, and not beating yourself. And I thought our guys were awesome at that on Saturday. Awesome, like you're playing in an emotional, hostile environment, um, and we had zero pre-snap penalties. So not one delay a game, not one false start, not one offsides. Uh, and then nothing after the whistle either, meaning like an unsportsmanlike conduct or personal foul. And, that, and I'm as proud of that as as anything because we we do talk about it a lot. And, and it is key in those rivalry games. And, you know, I actually showed them on Friday night in the hotel just a couple video examples of some things, teams maybe not playing smart football in a rivalry game and getting caught up in the emotion and doing dumb things just to make sure that, you know, we we just uh, we focus on <clears throat> just doing our jobs and, and playing good football. Well, you, uh, last thing, and I'll let you go. I've already kept you too long. you got more important stuff to do than hang out with me. But when you got back, I saw the video of the reception for you guys. I mean, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Our, uh, <laughs> yeah. our, uh, deputy, our deputy AD before we left Clemson was like, Hey, do you mind if uh, we tweet out when we're going to arrive so the fans can meet us there? I'm like, do I mind? Like, Heck no, that'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, it's about a two hour ride, two and a half, whatever, from here to Clemson. And we're on the bus coming back down Interstate 26. And videos started popping up on some of our players' social media feeds um, of everyone at the building. So you could hear them talking about it in the bus and how excited they were. But then to, to, to get back to Columbia and to see how big that crowd is. It's what makes college football, college athletics so special. It really is. And uh, we've got amazing fans here at Carolina. That win Saturday uh, was so important to so many people, Coach. I mean, my we didn't have much to do on Sunday. So my wife and, and kids, we took the dog for a walk on Sunday afternoon about 4 o'clock in our neighborhood and just kind of around Columbia, the, the area we live. And and what should have been about a 45 minute walk took double that because of so many people like strangers just coming up to us and saying, thank you, you know, and, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. And it's what makes college athletics so special. And we're so appreciative of our awesome fans that were here on Saturday night and, and all of our awesome fans that are certainly uh, relishing in this win still this week. And will be for a long time until next year. <laughs> You're right. How cool was that bus ride home for you? Really cool, you know, and just just the joy of <laughs> yeah. our players. I mean, that was that was a lot of fun, you know, and and um, to be able to be together with those guys on that bus for that ride back. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, from we started out leaving Clemson, and all the players in the back are chanting "Party at Beamer's house tonight." And they wanted to come over and celebrate with my family. Now, little did they know we were all asleep at like 10 o'clock. So I don't know if I had quite as much fun as, <laughs> as they did, but that that's what it's all about being able to, to win on the road and then celebrate with your team and, and, and uh, 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 be together. It's pretty, pretty cool. And, and what there's a lot of tough days in this profession, as you know, but those are the days and the moments that make it all worthwhile. Hey, you lost your offensive coordinator. You want to break news here? You going to hire anybody? Want to break it? I don't have news right now. I'm just uh, you know, we we got a lot to get done, and we'll we'll worry about that when it when it gets to it. But 
when you, um, uh, I can say this, our situation right now is really, really attractive for a lot of people. And uh, I thought I'd gotten through all the congratulatory text messages that I got after the game, which took me about two or three days to get through. Now it started all over with all the people that want to come coach at Carolina, which is pretty cool too. So we'll uh, we'll we're uh, um, hadn't planned on that situation, but we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll be okay. Yeah, I think you'll be fine, Coach. Thank you so much. You're always great with your time. Congratulations, man, and good luck in the bowl. You're awesome. I appreciate it. Hope to see you soon. Yes, sir. That is. My favorite college football coach, Shane Beamer. I'm telling you, man, you follow him on Twitter. Just a good dude, man. Just a good freaking dude. Honest to God. Uh, Zachary McGuire, go Dan. I love your show. I listen on both. Uh, All right. A lot of people got to get after it. Go get after it today. Get after it strong. Oh, baby. Let's go. Who's a woke dope today? Who we got? Oh, Daylight savings time structurally racist as a form of white privilege. You know what? I got nothing for you. I don't even think, I saw this, I read about it, and I think it's so stupid that is everything, is literally everything racist? I mean, the time is racist. Not Morris Day in the time. No, 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 no. Racist. The time. Well, you know. If CNN says it, it dis, it, it disproportionately impacts communities of color. Since people of color have a higher number of health problems, observing daylight savings time is more dangerous to them. This is from an article. It cited Vanderbilt University Medical Sleep saying daylight saving time is associated with increased risk of sleep loss, circadian misalignment, and adverse health consequences. All right. Poor sleep is associated with bad health. So because apparently African Americans have worse health, it is racist. I don't know how you get that. God bless you. Do your thing. Yay, rah. Go fight, win. It's crap. It will continue to be crap, and it will always be crap. All right. Here's the deal. I'm going to get back to something. Uh, Will Dan say, I digress today? Well, let me digress. (laughs) If you're running a business, look at me right now. If you are running a business, stare at me. Get yourself a culture. Let me give you an example of the culture of the United States. We didn't hire people in big positions. We hired people because they are non-binary. We hired them for reasons other than qualifications. That's culture. Let me give you Sam Brinton, B-R-I-T-O-N, is like some non-binary, wears dresses, uh, does all this stuff in the Biden administration. Lipstick with beards, a whole deal, and very publicly, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition at the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy. This person is in the Department of Nuclear Energy. You can look this person up. Felony charge, very proud 
Very proud, right? This is culture. When you hire a culture of people that aren't the most qualified, that maybe, just maybe, might have a problem, and you don't vet them, you hire them because of whatever, you're going to have a problem. So this idiot, and you can look this person up, stole $2,325 from baggage claim. She snatched, she, he, whatever the hell this person is. I don't know, so don't come at me. Name is Sam, so I'm saying it's a him. Uh, Britain, who uses they, them pronouns, was captured on surveillance video, grabbing the luggage and removing its ID tag identified by the owner. This is at an airport. This is at an airport in Minneapolis. Now, I wish I had told my guys that I was talking about this person because they would have put a picture up. But this person very proudly flaunts what, you know, dresses and all that, and is in our government. And the government very proudly flaunts this person. But obviously this person wasn't vetted because this person is a petty criminal that takes big stuff like just a weasel that decides. And this really pisses me off because we've all thought about having our baggage stolen, haven't we? We've all thought about some creeper taking our stuff. We all have. We've all seen videos of guys throwing luggage and we don't want it to be our golf clubs or our bag that gets broke. So this idiot here, this person who works in the government, hired because she, he, they, them, whatever the hell it is, that's the only reason, gets placed on leave for doing one of the most chicken blank violating things that there is, violating the trust. That's the culture of the Biden administration, and nobody can tell me differently. Not one single human being can tell me differently. There she, he is, they, them, whatever. This is a person that stole $2,300 that is in and has been a poster child for the Biden administration. A poster child. Why? Why? Because of her, her, them, them, whatever qualifications? I don't know. I don't know. And people are going to say, well, people steal stuff all the time. Well, you're supposed to be held to a higher standard. When you are in, when you are in appointed position within the administration of the office of the president. But we know this isn't true. And you're not going to see anything other than the New York Post on this because everybody is afraid. Well, my God, she's non-binary. Have you heard about any, about the murders at the gay nightclub? Since we found out that the person is, quote, non-binary, whatever the hell that means, of course you have. Of course you have. A Biden administration employee and one of the government's first gender non-binary officials has been accused of stealing a traveler's bag. Look, you're supposed to be held to a higher standard. That's why when I hear about people say, well, inflation is all over the world. I say, no, 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 no. We're supposed to be held to a higher standard. We're the United States of America, the greatest country ever. But we don't hold anything to a high standard. Uh, Do you check a box? Uh, Yeah, I know you're more qualified, but you're non-binary and you wear dresses, so let's put you in our administration. It's crap. It's total crap. I'd say it's embarrassing, but let's be honest. It's literally impossible to embarrass this administration. It's literally impossible because there is no pride. There is no self-esteem. 
All there is is acquiesce, pander, and give me money. That's it with this administration. And you can say I'm wrong, and that's fine, but I ain't. World is ridiculous, man. All right. I got the United States winning two zip. We got a great culture here on our show. We got great culture, man. I'll tell you what, every morning, man, Dylan, Dylan and Ryan and Sean, uh, Sean and Aaron, Haley, Dave, they kill it. I got a problem. Corey, man, is right on it. I'm telling you right now, culture matters. Culture matters big time. Steelers had it last night. Colts did not. Biden administration got none. It's asinine. We'll see you tomorrow.